Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres social hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. I am Jesse Agler. Very happy to have you with us on this Wednesday evening. It is Earth Day. Hope everybody has enjoyed a little bit of nature on a beautiful, sunshiny day here in San Diego. Got a lot to get to on today's show. We will once again talk KBO baseball, the Korean League. We'll talk Earth Day. We'll visit with Rob Machado, the legendary surfer and uh, San Diego resident, and Sterling Hitchcock as we continue to look back at the 1998 postseason. Those games airing all week long on Fox Sports San Diego tonight. Game four, the National League Division Series. Hitchcock 11 strikeouts, the winning pitcher as the Padres take the Astros out and advance to the National League Championship Series for the second time in franchise history. Very happy to be joined today by Bill Center and Ben Higgins. Gentlemen, uh, pleasure, as I said, to have uh, you with us. And uh, a lot of fun stuff to get to, including some actual baseball news. And so I guess we'll just kind of jump right into that. Uh, Who remembers the Astros cheating scandal? (laughs) It's like it's one of those things that feels like it was a million years ago. But uh, the other piece of it, of course, was the Boston Red Sox. Uh, And that investigation from 2018, uh, Rob Manfred had said previously that this investigation had kind of been wrapped up for a while. They just hadn't uh, gotten it ready to present to the public. Well, today they did just that. Uh, Here are the punishments, and and then we'll get into the conversation, uh, the penalties. Uh, They will lose a second-round pick in 2020. Uh, The replay operator, who they have essentially dubbed as the mastermind of their sign-stealing operation, uh, is banned from baseball throughout this season through the postseason and cannot be a replay person in 2021. Uh, Alex Cora, who, of course, was punished because of his role with the Astros, they had not announced his punishment yet until they finished this one. Uh, They say nothing against Alex Cora for what took place in Boston in 2018, uh, but because of what he was a part of when he was the bench coach of the Astros, uh, he is also, like A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno, uh, banned through the 2020 postseason. Basically, what they came out and said, if you haven't read the story, is that, eh, They don't think there's that much there. They talked to players. They went over 10,000 emails, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Ben, uh, your your first reaction, I guess, when you saw the lightness of these penalties. 
Well, that's what everyone was saying. The, the punishment seemed pretty light, especially compared to what the Astros got. So I was kind of a head scratcher. But and then I started thinking about it, and I realized baseball turned over every stone in the Astros' investigation and came down just about as hard as they were allowed to. I don't any, see any reason why they wouldn't do the same with the Boston Red Sox had they found similar infractions. So I guess we kind of have to trust that Major League Baseball knows what it's doing here. And, and if they had found more, the punishments would have been more severe, but they didn't. So it's really just a second round pick because, you know, Alex Gore wasn't going to be there anyway, and they'll find another replay operator for this coming season, I'm sure. So second round pick isn't, isn't nothing. I, you know, I'm sure AJ Preller would hate losing a second round pick, but it doesn't seem that serious. I think in the big scheme of things. Have at least been a first round pick they lose. You would have liked to see that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I think if you would ask any organization, hey, would you uh, trade a second round pick and some scandal for a World Series title? It's kind of like an easy decision. Good point. I, I would have certainly hit them with losing a first round pick. And uh, I, I'm, I was disappointed. Uh, I read the story. I was a little disappointed. The uh, reaction was as light as it was. I think it should have been a little bit stronger. I guess the the story basically uh, that they tell is that it wasn't anything like the Astros in terms of the banging of the trash can to relay signs. Uh, this this guy, this kid, you know, who was the replay operator, uh, I guess at times in 2018. And they went out of their way to say that it did not happen in the postseason, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people are, are a little bit suspicious of. And that also it didn't take place the following year, uh, last season in 2019, but that he would at times uh, decode signs using video in game, which is a no, no, you can do it after the game. You can do it before the game. You can study the video, but you're not supposed to do it in game. He would then relay that information to somebody in the dugout who would pass it along to a base runner who would then pass it along to the hitter at the plate. And so uh, what they say is uh, through their investigation, it was not anything as severe as what took place uh, in Houston. And uh, furthermore that, uh, you know, they said baseball said in their investigation that the Red Sox front office uh, had done what they were supposed to do in terms of communicating uh, with the bench and the clubhouse about all of this being a no-no. Uh, there's apparently a paper trail of all of that. So I guess, uh, again, the idea is this is not as big of a deal as what took place in Houston. Uh, but it is pretty remarkable, Ben. I mean, you're talking now back-to-back -back World Series champions who have gotten themselves tied up in this thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the Washington Nationals right now are uh, the only clean champion we've had in the last three years. So uh, as long as we don't find anything that has to do with them, it's a it's a stain on baseball that's going to be there for a long time. I think we've all been a little distracted by other things in our lives right now. Uh, maybe it's a, a blessing in disguise for the Astros and the Red Sox that they haven't had to go back right away and face angry road crowds at the beginning of the season. By the time we get playing again, maybe the uh, criticism will be a little bit forgotten or we're we just so appreciative that we have baseball that we won't be in the mood to start uh, booing teams like that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see when the Astros actually do play like a real road game that counts, particularly against maybe a division rival uh, or one of these other big market teams. I, I think if I remember correctly, they were set to go to New York to play the Yankees like the last week of the regular season this year on the original schedule. That could have been quite a show for all those reasons and uh, probably not going to get around to seeing that. Bill, do you do you center? I, it's probably too early to, to really have any kind of answer to this, but could, could you see a scenario that we look back at, at this era of baseball in 15 or 20 years? The way we kind of look back now at, at what we call the steroid era? Uh, no, 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 because the steroid era was a problem unto itself, and it was rampant. Everybody knew what was going on. This, I don't think this is as strong, but still, you have to stop it. And I think 
that you've totally stopped it with the penalties they've given out. Uh, the penalties should have been stronger. Okay, that's fair. Good, good question here from from Geekster, and I'll I'll throw it out to to both of you guys, uh, Bill maybe, and then Ben. Uh, why aren't the suspensions for both the Astros and Red Sox carrying into 2021, uh, given the fact that uh, we're going to either have an abbreviated 2020 or even potentially no 2020? It's a very fair question. MLB came out a few weeks ago and said, hey, by the way, the Astros punishments uh, for both A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno will be considered served, even if there isn't a season this year. Uh, Bill, I, I think she brings up a very f- fair point of conversation. She brings up a fair point, but careers in baseball are not that long. Uh, I sort of Sadly, I agree that they shouldn't go into 2021, even if there is no season, um, just by making the point that they've made with the Astros, I think is strong, although I would have liked to have seen them removed totally from the uh, from this draft. But, uh, yeah, you got I, I think you got to let people get back into their lives. Bill, I disagree. I, I think this is a, the equivalent of getting sentenced to a year in jail and finding out, well, the jail is under construction and we don't have anywhere to put you. So by the time it opens, your sentence is over. I mean, if if they sit out this season, but everyone else has to sit out this season as well because there's no baseball. And then Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora are all just allowed back into the game like nothing happened in 2021, then, then there really wasn't a punishment for any of them. I mean, yeah, it it seemed bad at the time, but there wouldn't have been any punishment. I think they they should have to at least stretch, you know, at least partially into the next season to make there be some teeth to the consequences of what they did. I, I do wonder if the fact that everybody agreed that players would get service time if there was no season, if in some roundabout way that could have impacted this, Ben, because, you know, the idea is like, all right, players are going to reach free agency. Players are going to reach uh, a year towards arbitration. You know, if we're doing that, maybe then we have to count these punishments as well. I don't know, just a thought. No, I, I mean, it's like, it's like being forbidden from playing golf for a month, but it rained every day. <laughs> no big deal. You know, I, I agree. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm going to wonder who's going to hire these guys, uh, knowing that there's going to be, you're going to be under a microscope, even if it's not going to happen again, you are going to be under a microscope if you hire any of the, the people involved. It's a really good point also and something that is yet to be seen, I think. Uh, and again, all of this feels like a million years ago, even though it wasn't that A.J. Hinch sit down interview on MLB Network. Uh, you know, I think that was a, a good chance for him to sort of get out there, come clean uh, to a, a greater extent than we've seen anybody else, I think, connected to this do to try and set himself up for something in the future. A.J. is a very smart guy. We all know that we've been around him here uh, from his time in San Diego. Uh, but you're right. It, it'll be a fascinating thing to track when things get back to some kind of normalcy. I don't I don't have an answer. Obviously, nobody does. And uh, we'll wait and see on all of that. So anyway, Red Sox officially punished today uh, for their apparently less than Houston sign stealing that took place during the 2018 regular season. And uh, now we move on to the next scandal, whatever that could uh, end up being. As for the 2020 season, every day it seems like we have some kind of mini update on the latest idea or plan or what could come about. Uh, And the latest one that came out in the last 24 hours or so, uh, let's see, we've had the Arizona plan, uh, which I call the bubble plan, the biosphere, the biodome, the Poly Shore plan. Uh, Then we heard about a possible Arizona plus Florida plan. Uh, The latest, I believe, came originally from Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News, and it was a three area plan. Uh, And the idea would be to have some teams based in the Phoenix area, some teams based in the Dallas Metroplex, where they could play uh, games at the new Rangers Stadium, which has a retractable roof. And a third group of teams 
uh, based in the St. Petersburg, Florida area where they could play games at the Trop, uh, the most depressing baseball facility on the planet where the Rays have their home games. The idea, obviously, is that you would have three climate-controlled environments. You could really spread the teams out. I don't know if you'd go 10-10-10 or mix it up different ways. It would help with time zones. It would help with facilities. It would help with weather. Like everything else, a billion things need to be figured out between now and then. Uh, but let me ask you guys, Ben, first, I mean, how, how does this particular concept, I guess, stack up against some of the others we've heard to you? I mean, it's it's a refinement on some of the other ideas, I guess. Um, I had always wondered if they were going to put everyone in Arizona. That seemed, even using all the spring training facilities, given the heat and the number of games they'd have to get in there, even if you played three at Chase Field and one game every single day at every other spring training facility, that seemed like a lot of baseball for one area. So spreading it out to a, a couple of different areas does make more sense to me. I See, I'm trying to decide which which quarantined area I'd want to be stuck in. I mean, Florida, Texas, or Arizona. If I have to be there for like three or four months, I'm probably picking Texas because they're going to have the new ballpark and they'll probably have better barbecue. And I think there'd just be a little more entertainment somehow if I'm stuck with just those guys. So that'd be my pick. Of course, you're not allowed to leave the hotel, probably. So I don't know if it really matters where you are. You just need a, a climate-controlled baseball facility. Bill, is this uh, is this ring your bell at all? I would extend it into Southern California. Um, the rain, if we've got a season that's going to go in October, November, not our rainy season. I would I would put Southern California in that loop too. Uh, rather be in Southern California than Florida. And that would actually create a little geographical uh, hole. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's certainly worth kicking around. You just uh, put everybody at Pendleton and then half go north to Anaheim, south, and the other side <laughs> south to San Diego. It's interesting. And again, you know, as MLB keeps saying, they're going to have to follow the lead uh, in terms of health restrictions and guidelines and uh, what actually takes place uh, in terms of the virus uh, before any of this can become remotely realistic. There are also business considerations uh, with the players to figure out. That's uh, not a small hurdle to hop over, though. I think it probably is one they can figure out. Um, but they are kicking around different ideas. I like the way Ben put it, kind of refining these different uh, concepts that are out there. But that that sort of seems to be the latest one. You could have kind of three leagues going at the same time. It would be wild because you got to figure it would pretty much be baseball around the clock. I mean, if you're only going to use the three dome stadiums uh, to play, you know, I mean, you try and figure it out where obviously the West Coast teams play later in the night, that kind of stuff. But I mean, you could be going from 11 a.m. to 11 at night a lot of days to get these games in. From a viewing standpoint, it could be fun. But uh, like we said, a lot of hurdles. All right. So that is uh, kind of the latest on that. We've been talking all week a lot about the 1998 postseason. Fox Sports San Diego replaying those games from the division series. And later this week, uh, the NLCS, and it has been a lot of fun to watch. Tonight, uh, game four against the Astros, that would be the clincher uh, in Mission Valley. Last night, game three, as uh, Kevin Brown started again against Houston, and the Padres took a big-time 2-1 lead in that series. Some highlights certainly stand out from that game yesterday. We'll replay some of them right here, right now. It's cool. You get a little defense to start things off with T. Quinn. Near the strike zone, he'll probably swing. That's a base hit at the right center. Alou's going to try for third. Here's Quinn Slow. He is out! Look how quickly he gets himself set up, throws the ball, a little bit of rainbow in it. Let's look at this thing closely here. 
dives. Woo, baby. First of all, so much to like in that clip. Uh, the tag by Kevinetti is just so awesome. Like, when do you ever see a tag like that? You got to be a special kind of guy to just flop down on Moise Zalou and try and push him off the base like that. But, uh, I mean, the energy is, to me, I think, Bill, what initially kind of jumps off the screen, both when I watched it last night and again here. You could just sense the electricity in the building. Right. Uh, the crowd during that series, the three – the. The home crowd for the Padres was just incredible in that series uh, throughout into into NLCS and even into the two World Series. No question. No question. All right. Uh, Jim Laritz uh, throughout that postseason and at other points in his career as well, trying to do his best Reggie Jackson impersonations and uh, become Mr. October. Uh, just a tremendous number of clutch October moments for Jim Laritz, including a big home run in the game last night. Untouchable. Larence, high and deep to the field. He has done it again. Wow, what a shot. Two to one, San Diego. Bands a lot later, I think you take a bow. Postseason curtain call. I don't know if it gets any cooler than that. How about a, a no doubter in a big spot late in a playoff game, Ben? That's about as cool as it gets. So many things I love about that, including uh, Steve Finley calling time so the crowd could continue to cheer Jim Leyritz after that big home run. He, of course, had many huge postseason home runs and big moments, especially for the Padres that year. I like uh, Robert Ori in basketball, not necessarily a, you know, a big time star during the regular season, but boy, he came up clutch uh, when it was so necessary. And you remember there was a lot of tension. The Padres had to fight so hard to split those first two games of that series in Houston. The last thing they wanted was to come back and then give it right back and put the Astros on the brink of clinching. The Astros are big favorites, uh, at least sizable favorites going into that series with Randy Johnson as their ace. So that pivotal game three was just so important, and that home run was such a big moment, really, in Padres franchise history. Yeah, and uh, just a clutch, clutch, clutch from Laritz. And then, of course, for Bruce Bochy and Dave Stewart uh, and the rest of that staff, boy, there could be uh, no better feeling than being able to put the ball in Trevor Hoffman's hands uh, at the end of the game, and he took care of the Astros very quickly in that one. Trevor Hoffman, 53 saves and 54 chances. The changeup for the strikeout. The changeup, another strikeout. Two down. Another devastating changeup right out of the back of his hand. Chokes that ball back deep in his hand. Great arm motion right over the top. Looks like a pure four-seam fastball. 65,000 people are on their feet, waving their towels. The changeup in the ball game is over.
I mean, it really was one of those he could tell you was coming. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Phenomenal stuff. So that uh, was the big victory that gave the Padres a 2-1 edge in the series. Fox Sports San Diego tonight replaying game four of the 98 Division Series uh, at Qualcomm against the Astros. The winning pitcher in that game with 11 strikeouts, Sterling Hitchcock, uh, will join us coming up in a little Spoiler alert. Come on, Jesse. What's that? Spoiler alert. Come on. I know. I keep thinking that with these old games, like how much detail do I want to give into? But we'll we'll preview that one a little bit more uh, with Sterling Hitchcock coming up uh, in a little bit. All right. Uh, we have baseball news today in terms of the Red Sox. Uh, we do also have football news coming up. Uh, normally, I don't know that we would dive into the NFL draft, but A, things are weird right now. And and B, I'm fascinated uh, by the fact that they're going to try and pull this thing off on live television using kind of a remote system like what we have set up here. Now, I'll take everybody behind the curtain a little bit. We have had technical issues on this show. You might not realize it, uh, but we've had many technical issues on this show uh, pretty much every day. It's just sort of the nature of doing this kind of thing. Everybody's set up in their home offices. People have different devices. They've got older devices, newer devices. They've got good internet connections. They've got bad internet connections and everything in between. So not only is the NFL trying to pull this thing off uh, remotely, which I think would be a challenge to begin with, but they are also trying to do so while broadcasting it live. Uh, ben, you work in television. You've been doing uh, hits you know, for Channel 10 at home. This could get very, very interesting for the NFL. Yeah, you know, the secret, one of the secrets, at least a good television, is try to try to minimize the moving parts as much as possible. I mean, you can have the best director and producer and technical director in the business flipping all the switches, but there are only so many feeds that one person can keep track of at a certain time. And in this draft, you got to figure, okay, there's 32 teams. So that means 32 feeds from 32 different GM's houses. There's Roger Goodell's feed from the basement of his house. And then there's all the ESPN and their analyst feeds, Trey Wingo in their studio, all the different hosts in their houses all over the country. So we're just starting out. We're talking a minimum of like 40 to 50 different feeds, trying to make sure that they're all ready at the right time when they're supposed to be going on. Just the he's giving me a headache just to think about trying to keep it all together. And I mean, you're like always, you know, this far away, like one moment away from accidentally hitting the wrong button and catching some GM picking his nose or something like that. I mean, that, that and that might be a best case scenario for a screw up. <laughs> well, all I know is that I'm a human technical issue, so <laughs> I'm wishing him good luck. You look great and you sound great. That's what matters. We have some pictures, by the way, of the uh, different setups that the different GMs have. Some of them are very impressive. I mean, here you go. John Lynch is not messing around. He's got three landlines. Uh, that looks like four computer monitors and a big screen TV. Five computer monitors. Well, he went uh, to Tory Pine. So you know he's got it together. Come on. Yeah, he's he's not messing around. You're not too worried about him. Elway, who uh, is just one of the most down to earth, hilarious people. That's a pretty good setup. That looks like more more TV heavy maybe than it is uh, tech heavy. But nonetheless, he's got the cell phone and the landline. Vikings very branded. I uh, got a lot of purple. I see tablecloths, which is a nice touch. They're really trying to, you know, make it look good. Uh, it looks like a multi-monitor setup on the left there, like a six-screen kind of situation. Multiple laptops, couple of tablets. Uh, Tennessee, uh, uh, they're they're ready to tighten up. Uh, let's see, I got two laptops, a tablet, maybe two tablets and a laptop. It's got those widescreen monitors, which I really like, and then like a ten-year-old flat screen on the right. Uh, Jaguars, he goes with the projector. Uh, which I, I, I respect that. That's like a nice big look there with the computer screens in front of him uh, and a TV to the left. Um, and then I think this last one kind of would make any giant fan cringe. And that includes yours truly. This is Dave Gettleman, who's already under heat for like a thousand reasons in New York. You just saw all these other setups. And now here's the guy in his hoodie 
with the laptop, one laptop, the mouse. I do give him credit for the hand sanitizer. Uh, and then just like this giant binder, uh, I assume of football information with a bunch of other stuff kind of scattered all over the desk. Doesn't even look like he's got, you know, his own space. Looks like he's behind the couch in the living room. Uh, you know, I'm just imagining like his kids playing video games five feet in front of him right out of that picture. I don't know what kind of confidence this this should inspire, Ben. Well, he's got he's got lotion and hand sanitizer, as you pointed out. So, I mean, he's good. If all the Internet in the world goes out, I think Dave Gettleman will be more prepared than anyone else. That's a good draft. point. Otherwise, I think the more screens you have, I don't care if there's nothing on those screens. The more screens you have, the better it looks like you've got it together. I feel like Gettleman. what Gettleman's got going on here. <laughs> of course, Bill likes Gettleman's setup. <laughs> no, you're right, though. I mean, if there's like a big internet outage or if somebody hacks into the system and, you know, all, all you know, what breaks loose, he's going to be sitting pretty. He's going to be like, no problem. He's going to take out his rotary phone. He's going to dial into Goodell and he's going to have his binder and he'll be he'll be completely set. I, I like this, too. Could he just be bluffing? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it'll be fascinating to watch this thing start to uh, unravel tomorrow. Uh, it's good luck to them. Seriously. I mean, that's, it's a heck of an operation. Like Ben said, I mean, that number of feeds coming into a, a production control room, it's, it's, it's a remarkable challenge. And uh, I saw interviews with all the different ESPN production people and, and to a man and woman, they're saying, this is the most challenging thing we've ever done. Tough enough to go to like three, all of us at once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, if they need any tips, they can talk to uh, Nikki and Cole and Shannon on our side. Cause we've been doing this for like five weeks now. We're, uh, we're totally fine. All right. Uh, in a little bit, we'll hear from Sterling Hitchcock. We're also going to dive back into the KBO. We're officially adopting a team, by the way, in the Korean League. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, as mentioned, though, it is Earth Day today and thought a wonderful guy to catch up with would be the legendary surfer and longtime San Diego resident. Grew up here, uh, Rob Machado. Uh, he's in Cardiff. Uh, hanging out and uh, we caught up with him today to talk about what we can be doing for this planet and also just to see what's up in the Machado household. Definitely a great guy to talk to on Earth Day. We'll get into that for sure. But Rob, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. How uh, How's the family spending time right now? It's always like an interesting question to ask people these days. It's a very interesting question and we've been fair, uh, well, Ricardo. Um, it's been great, man. We've been really embracing the whole, uh, extra family time, let's call it. Uh, you know, my son is six years old. He's not in school currently. My daughter's 18 and, uh, you know, bummer for her senior year has been canceled. So a lot of bike rides, a lot of walks around the neighborhood, um, lots of, uh, really healthy meals. We've been really focusing on food and, just, I think it's probably the healthiest we've ever been all together. Yeah, self-care is one of those things that it seems to be a consistent theme with uh, what people are trying to do, whether it's exercise or eating. Those both uh, are always important, but right now they seem maybe a little more attainable because we're not out of the house uh, as much as usual. I mentioned 50th anniversary of Earth Day today. You've done some really phenomenal things in our community uh, when it relates to taking care of this planet, our, our beaches and our water and everything kind of beyond that. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the work you've done, how, how you decided to become that involved with that stuff in our community. Uh, you know, I'll go back to kind of the late 90s, early 2000s. I, um, I think I realized, you know, I, I was spending so much time on the road in those, uh, during the 90s that when I started coming home a lot more, I realized how special San Diego is and what a 
a really amazing community of people we have. And, and, you know, I, I traveled to so many incredible, uh, locations and I kept coming home going, gosh, I don't want to leave home. Like this place is cool. I have these opportunities to maybe go live in Australia or uh, Tahiti. I mean, you name it. And I, I kept just being drawn back to San Diego. So, um, and then I, I felt like I had a voice, um, you know, like I, I made a name for myself through surfing and doing what I do. And, and that that voice could be heard and in a, in a very positive way. So I, I formed uh, my foundation in 2003, 2004, um, with the objective of providing environmental education for kids, which generally just kind of means everyone. We're all kids. I like that. I, I read one story that I think at the time you said your daughter's school, they didn't even have recycling bins, you know, for their plastics and stuff like that. And kind of seeing that firsthand was like a, a shock. Yeah, that's what triggered it all, really. I started taking my daughter to school and, and the elementary school here was uh, was really old and they had no recycling system set up. They really did just didn't have anything um, as far as environmentalism goes. So it was as simple as that. Like let's, let's install um, a really good recycling program, educate the kids. Um, we put in a gardening program, uh, which worked out really well. Um, and then it, it, it was, it was funny because I was actually on the campus one day and I, I walked over to the drinking fountain that I drank out of when I was there in first and second grade. And, I was like, no way. Look, it's an old drinking fountain. You guys, you guys drink out of these? And they're like, absolutely not. No way. It's disgusting. And I was like this shocked that, um, you know, kids don't drink out of drinking fountains. And then I really started to look around and I noticed that all these kids were bringing like water bottles to school, like these single use plastic water bottles. And that was during that time that we had all been trained to believe that you had to drink water out of plastic water bottles. So it's, and it was the convenience of, you know, for parents to be able to just throw that in a backpack. And, um, I was like, huh, all right, well, we need to get water to these kids. They need to have free, um, good, clean drinking water on their campus. And we want to educate them on how to bring reusable water bottles into their life. So that became, uh, our main focus here in the last five or six years. Really cool. And uh, it's amazing. You see, I always comment on it. We've got a four-year-old here uh, the, at the preschool. Every kid has their little water bottle they bring every day. You clean it out at night. And it was like unthinkable not all that long ago that that would be a normal thing. But it is. And it's one of those little things that is so good for the environment and uh, for the kids. They seem to be drinking a lot of water, too, because of it, which is kind of a nice added bonus. Uh, obviously, got to get in some surf questions uh, as well. Uh, you mentioned all the amazing travel you had the opportunity to do and have had the opportunity to do. Um, is, is it unfair to ask you for like your, your top three spots you've ever surfed in your life? Uh, I mean, I, I know we got surf fans watching tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would go and stay at Indonesia is on the top of the list. Uh, spent a lot of time all over Indonesia. It's hard to really nail down one spot. There's so many good waves there. There's so many islands, with so many different setups. And I've been on boats. I've gone by land. I've, I mean, and I've surfed incredible waves all over the place. So 
Indonesia is, is on the top of the list for me. Whenever I get a chance to go back, I do. Um, and then the South Pacific. Um, I've had some incredible times in both Fiji and Tahiti. Um, cloud break being one of the waves or restaurants. And then uh, there's a wave down at the end of the road in Tahiti called Chopu, which uh, I've been going to for 20 plus years. That is it's pretty, pretty mesmerizing. Now, I always love hearing about people who do things better than everybody else and kind of their unique take on, on what they do. Uh, it's not hard to find somebody who surfs, obviously, in this community, but uh, to hear you talk about it, I think is pretty special. Uh, Rob Machado Foundation, as you said, has been doing great work for a long time now. Uh, anything the foundation needs, anything any of us uh, can do, a website even, you know, that you can throw out uh, so that if anybody wants to uh, assist or get involved, they might be able to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, We just had a cool little uh, Instagram. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it a giveaway, but we we challenged everyone out there to send us a video of what they're doing during this time at home to uh, be kind of environmentally conscious. Little things like like what we we're just talking about drinking out of you know not using single use plastics. Um, some people are gardening. It's cool. People have been sending us some really neat videos and the winner gets to uh, do this. Hang out, FaceTime, talk with me and tell me all about it. So should be fun. We're going to announce the winner today. Very cool. Very cool. So everybody check that out. Follow Rob on social media. I feel like uh, before I let you go, I have to ask you about the hats because I, I can only imagine most people watching are probably like locked in on the hats uh, when they're not locked in on you. Uh, it's a pretty cool hat wall, man. <laughs> I I give that credit to uh my wife that is definitely uh that's her doing and uh those actually are none of my hats my hats are tucked away in the back but uh she 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 makes our house look amazing i give her a lot of credit so i'm lucky i'm very fortunate i'll uh i'll give you the the other view i might get a little backlit but maybe you guys could see it um oh, yeah. there we go that's uh so quarantine life is okay. I'm not complaining. I can sit here and stare at it. I can't surf, but uh, I can do that. It's a pretty good view. Right? Man. That's, well, that's all good. I'm happy. That's as good as it gets. So I'm glad to hear you guys are uh, all healthy and sane and, and taking advantage of the family time. I know it's a challenge for everyone, but I'm uh, glad to hear you guys are doing okay. And, and thanks for taking some time for us tonight. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, gosh, yeah. Stay. Stay home, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, this will be over soon. We'll be back stronger than ever. I saw somebody comment on Twitter, the original San Diego Machado, Rob Machado. Big thanks again uh, to Rob for joining us on this Earth Day. He is, as you would imagine and expect and know, uh, very into taking care of this planet and a pretty good view. Makes me want some Seaside Market. I got to be honest. That's what I was like thinking as I'm looking out his window. I was like, ah. I'm going to go to Seaside Market. It's probably right down the street and uh, and check that out. Uh, not only Earth Day today, but also the anniversary of Tony Gwynn's 1,000th career hit, uh, April 22nd, 1988. How about a little uh, Jerry Coleman to brighten up your evening? Turn around to Lee Wire and told him one pitch sounded high. 1-1 one, one delivery. A loop into left center field. Coming on past the center fielder. Can he get it? No, it drops. Boy, Gwynn just laying one in there in front of Gerald Young and Billy Hatcher, the shortstop, is going out. Nobody got to it. Gwynn gets rolling with a base hit.
So number 1,000 for Tony Gwynn. You heard Dave Campbell in there as well. Uh, Bill, I, I remember reading, I think it was Jeff Sanders in the UT today, had a story about that kind of going back in time. And uh, Tony's reaction, I guess, in the clubhouse afterwards when asked about his 1,000th career hit was, come and talk to me after 2,000 more. Well, we did. Yeah, absolutely. Was there in Montreal when that happened. Uh, wish it had been anywhere else but Montreal, but it was going to happen. So, Other cool On thing about that, uh, Ben, is, is that right after Tony comes up with career hit number 1,000, a skinny little infielder comes up to make his Major League debut. He got a base hit for his first Major League hit. That would be future Hall of Famer Robbie Alomar. Not bad. Uh, and by the way, Tony, line drive in the scorebook, right? I mean, that was <laughs> not a blooper. Wow. Oh, they kept the video. Darn. <laughs> That's one of those uh it's it's one of those like baseball clichés that we love but it does not hold up in the digital era at all. No. No, it's just nobody's going to look at the box score they're going to look at the video highlights. But very cool that was on this date uh in 1988. All right, we are obviously all starved for uh live baseball. That's why we've been watching the CPBL online. It's why we've been kind of tracking uh the KBO, which is a very good competitive league in Korea. Uh they opened up their preseason this week. They're going to try and get their regular season underway on May 5th. And again, I think we've said this a few times, but it's important to throw out there. It is unfortunately not as simple as saying, hey, look, they're going to start playing in South Korea. They were X number of weeks or months ahead of us in terms of the virus. So we'll be able to play at a time. There are so many variables that go into it. Uh, but nonetheless, it's encouraging uh, just from like a sanity standpoint to see that they are going to try and play it. But obviously a new normal in Korea, there won't be any fans uh, in those games. And they released a very strict series of guidelines uh, for health uh, that, you know, include all of this. Players have to have their temperatures checked twice before games. They also have to fill out questionnaires on an app every single day about their health. Uh, they're going to try and uh, keep everybody uh, in their masks except uh, on the field and in the dugout. They really don't want anybody high-fiving or shaking hands. You can incur understand that completely. Uh, spitting will be strictly prohibited, also very much common sense. I mean, this is just the start here. There's more as they just try and keep everybody uh, as healthy as humanly possible. And obviously, if things, uh, you know, kind of go sideways from a health standpoint, they're going to have to figure that out. We've got some pictures of this in a moment. The umpires are going to wear masks and plastic gloves. Uh, you generally don't want umpires making contact with players regardless, but especially now you don't want that. Uh, all the sort of uh, extra staff that travels, they will be wearing masks and gloves uh, at all time as well. And so, of course, the million dollar question, I guess, is what happens if somebody gets sick? Here's what they're going to try in the KBO. If somebody shows symptoms uh, during the preseason or regular season, players immediately quarantined and then they will do uh, closing down of that stadium for a couple of days. If he ends up testing positive for the virus, uh, then you get the uh, professionals involved. They'll do the contact tracing, figure out who else might need to go into a two-week quarantine. So there have been some reports a few weeks back that if something like that had happened, they were going to shut down the whole league for a couple of weeks. They're obviously trying to avoid doing that. Uh, but guys, uh, both of you, I mean, Bill, we'll start. This is, it, it's it's great. They're, they're trying. I appreciate that they're in a position where they can, but it seems like really, to me at least, walking a tightrope. Walking a tightrope. I mean, yes, they, they say they have plans if somebody does test positive at the same time. Uh, all to take is one, maybe two, uh, and it upsets the entire apple cart. Ben, how does the whole thing look to you as you kind of uh, go through those regulations? I guess, um, I guess the the toughest part is that if even someone's symptomatic, you have to shut down a stadium for a couple of days. That's 
that's going to mess with entire seasons. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how the Korean baseball organization works, but certainly in major league baseball, if you interrupt play for a couple of days here or there, it's The schedule is very intricately planned. It's very hard to make up those games once you've missed them. And uh, that, that could be very difficult. I would think. Yeah. You're getting a look there at one of the preseason games and you can see the umpire even a little bit further behind the catcher. Uh, it looks like we're not shaking hands. Maybe that's a pat on the back. Uh, but, you know, the dugout is maybe the most normal looking thing. The guy throwing the breaking ball, maybe the most normal looking thing. Uh, but then all of a sudden you see an umpire and a mask uh, and that kind of stuff. And it, it's a very quick, stark reminder of what we're all dealing with here. And obviously the empty stadiums, uh, perhaps as much as anything else. I mean, it's it's eerie and it's odd. And I guess it, it's one thing maybe for us, if you're unfamiliar with the stadium, it doesn't strike you as much. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the possibility of playing games at, at Chase Field or in Arlington. Uh, I guess the trop's always empty. That's an easy joke. But, you know, I mean, it, it's going to look so odd uh, seeing those places uh, the way they are. But we'll uh, we'll be keeping our eye on the KBO as we have the CPBL in Taiwan. Uh, and, and I brought this up yesterday, guys. We are adopting a Korean team uh, here on Padres Social Hour. Uh, it's going to be KT Wiz. Uh, one, I like the name. Uh, two, Odris Amer de Spagne is uh, on that team. They've never won a title before. And, in fact, as you see their year-by-year record, uh, the Wiz – uh, who are only a few years old, they're still in their first decade of baseball here, uh, have never finished above 500. However, they did go 500 last year. So I feel like we're catching them on the rise. Uh, they had the rookie of the year back in 2018. That was a left fielder. Uh, last year, they finished sixth after having never finished better than ninth before. Uh, so everybody, hop on board the KT Wiz bandwagon. And if you do, how about this? As an added bonus, old friend Odrisamer Despagne. Uh, is a member of the KT Wiz pitching staff here in 2020. Ben, are you with me? Jesse, if you're adopting a team, then you have to feed it and you have to take it out for walks every day. It's not going to be my responsibility. This is on you, Jesse. All right, that's fair. Will you Will you at least pretend to care about them on the days you're yeah, on the show? although it does seem like uh, everybody beats the Wiz based on those records that they've had. Well, that's going to change. Nobody will beat the Wiz moving forward. That's our hope, at least. Bill, can, can I get you on board my silly thing here? I mean, we're going to be doing daily updates when the season starts. I want to warn everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wiz is my team. <laughs> Save the tape. Save the tape. Uh, we've got the KT Wiz. All right. So the, the bandwagon is loading up, and uh, we'll, we'll have some fun. I figure, you know, we might as well follow a team. It's easier than, you know, doing a full scoreboard recap of the entire KBO every day once they start their games. But if we focus on one team, maybe we can have some fun, make some friends, and uh, maybe get in touch with some of the people over there. So go Wiz, and uh, perhaps this is the year they can burst through that that 500. And uh, Odrisimer Despagne, of course, his claim to fame is that you can rearrange the letters in his name yeah. to form San Diego Padres. Which is the most incredible piece of trivia you could ever ask for. <laughs> also almost threw a new hit, a no-hitter against the Mets, which was remarkable for a thousand different reasons uh, at Petco a couple of years ago. So, yeah, OD was a fun guy to be around. He had a parrot. His hat was off to the side. He was a fan favorite, you know, despite the numbers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's a whiz now. So so we like the whiz. Go whiz. I'll get everybody T-shirts. It'll be fine. Run with me on this one. Uh, all right. So back uh, to 1998, which we've been having a lot of fun with here. Uh, Sterling Hitchcock, obviously the NLCS most valuable player. Uh, he also started the deciding game of the division series, which airs tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. And just a little while ago, both Bill and I had the wonderful opportunity to catch up with him from his home in Florida. (laughs) 
All right, this is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of 98 talk this week with those games re-airing on Fox Sports San Diego and probably no better guy to talk to about that series or that postseason, I guess, than the uh, NLCS MVP, Sterling Hitchcock. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the hot streak, if you can call it that, I guess, got started, of course, yeah. before the NLCS in uh, game four of the division series against the Astros. That game is airing tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. So I suppose my question out of the gates would be, how early on or at what point that night did you realize things were going as well as they ended up going? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, I mean, it really was. I mean, it was two weeks of my life that I, you know, um, I, I never had better results, I guess you could, you could say. But um, one of those streaks and, you know, it, it, I think it was all team wide. Um, you know, I mean, everything just kind of clicked. I mean, there was great defense going on. We had timely hitting. Um, you know, and the pitching, the bullpen was lights out as well. You know, I mean, if you, if you kind of look at, you know, any of my starts through that time, I mean, I, you know, it was fifth or sixth inning and, and most of them, um, and our bullpen came in behind me and, and you know, just shut the door and, and I, of course, uh, off he locked it. So, uh, I just amazing run. Jim Leyritz gave you guys, uh, the one nothing lead with the home run off of Randy Johnson and, the place actually absolutely went ballistic. Uh, I've never heard a crowd quite like that. I was wondering what the uh, players' response was uh, to the crowd after the Leibniz homer. It, you know, you always you always hear things around the league. You know, oh, this is the loudest place you'll ever play in, and this and that. And I still say to this day, uh, Qualcomm during the, those two weeks is the loudest I've ever heard. Um, you know, I can remember taking the mound um, before a couple of those starts. And, you know, they had Welcome to the Jungle going as loud as they could possibly get it going. And you, I don't think you could hear a lyric in it. I mean, the crowd was just so um, on fire. And, you know, it was really it was such a cool experience. Yeah, we've heard that from everybody we've talked to about all of this. Another theme of that postseason, of course, was uh, the pitching staffs you go up against. And I guess any time in the playoffs, most teams are going to have pretty legit pitching staffs. But with Randy and the Astros and then, of course, the 1990s Braves and the arms that they were able to throw out there. What kind of perspective is, as a starter on the other side do you take or what kind of energy maybe do you get from that, knowing you're going up against what are probably, you know, multiple Hall of Famers at the time? I think for me, you know, I, the focus wasn't so much on that. Um has just knowing I've got to execute uh, my pitches, my game plan. Um, and I, 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 Jimmy Larritz to me was the best catcher I ever threw to. And the fact that we were always on, um, I can remember facing Derek Bell in that, um, in that game. And you'll see it. And, and, and my curveball to me was more of a get me over. You know, if I could throw it early in the count and get a free strike out of it, you know, perfect. And, and that particular game, I had a pretty good one going. And, you know, I, I get into a jam and, and Derek Bell's up at the plate. And I'm thinking in my mind, in my mind I should throw a curveball here. I I, I, I've never thrown many 3-2 curveballs in my life. And, and uh, I look down and Jimmy throws down curveball. And I'm like, holy smokes, it is right. You know, okay, we're on. And uh, the umpire calls it for strike three and I'm out of the jam. and. Um, it, it's, you know, to me, it was just, if I can go out and execute, I, I don't necessarily, I never did really care who I matched up against other than the fact that standing in the box against Randy Johnson was not exactly comfortable. <laughs> um, 
Um, but you know, as far as matching up against guys, you know, the idea is to go out there and give up no runs or one run every time anyway. So, um, just to give my, you know, give my team a chance. Pitch, you were rolling with a one nothing lead, uh, and you had struck, you had struck out four straight hitters when you, uh, Vigio let off the inning that tied the game. Uh, you threw a great, uh, first pitch curve for a strike. And then on your second pitch, uh, he stepped into it and got hit. Uh, that must have really been frustrating to you. Uh, you almost got out of the inning on a double play grounder before Bagwell tied the game with a single. You know, it, it's funny because there's a few guys, and Bijio was one of them. Um, you know, it's the tough part about it. You know, it, it's you got to pitch them inside, but if anything's off the plate inside, you know, it's going to hit them. And, um, it, Knobloch was that way. Um, you, you know, and they, at that point, they just started wearing all this body armor, you know, and, you know, I always thought it was, <clears throat> I thought something else should have been done about it as far as by the umpires or what have you. Um, because it is, it takes away that much of the, of the plate for me. Yeah. Every era seems to have their handful of guys who uh, are good at that and kind of love them, I guess, when you're on your team, maybe not even as a pitcher. But, you know, I think as fans, we love them when you're on the, their team. But when you're on the other team, you hate those guys. Uh, well, what's the image in your mind as it relates to the celebration uh, at the end of that series? Again, we'll be rewatching that game tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, the clincher against the Astros. You put in your work, like you said, bullpen closes and locks with Trevor. What do you remember about the aftermath? Uh, it's just electric. Um you know, I think we were we were so good during the regular season, you know, coming off of 97, I think everybody was disappointed. Um, so we're clinching as early as we did. Um, you know, you kind of lose a little bit of the, I don't know, focus or momentum or what have you. But um, we get into the series and, you know, it was a tough matchup for us on paper. Uh, the Astros had a great ball team. They had a good staff. Um and, you know, we were going to have to see Randy twice, but, you know, they were going to have to see Brownie twice as well. And um, after what Brownie did to those guys in, in game one, um, they certainly didn't want to see him again. Um, but just the the excitement of the crowd just going absolutely nuts. Um, it was just, you know, and I think as a group of guys, I mean, we had just come off of you know losing a lot of games in 97 and to be back in the playoffs and, you know, win that first series where they got, you know, they came up short in 96. Uh, you know, a lot of us hadn't been there before. And so there was a tremendous amount of excitement. Um, and, and just everybody just proud of everybody in that room because we knew the battle and stuff that we had just been through. You know, we had an, another big one coming up with the Braves. You know what? Uh, re I remember after e the last game in each series, postseason season 98, Things didn't go anywhere after the game ended. And yeah. you guys would come back from the field and wave to them. And if I remember from that game, last game of the NLDS, that they stayed there for about 20 minutes after the game cheering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, I've got pictures of they're around somewhere. I just saw them not too long ago, but I'm, I'm running Joey Hamilton's back and we're running around the field high five and everybody and, um, you know, around the warning track and stuff. And, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, the, the town of San Diego embraced us, our team so much that year. And, um, I mean, we, we felt it, we fed off of it 
And, you know, just to be able to give something back in a, in a recognition to them um, was pretty cool. The MVP of the 1998 NLCS, Sterling Hitchcock, is with us. A really good amount of postseason experience on your resume with really, really good numbers, obviously, uh, taking home that trophy as well. Is there something to, as you get more and more, it becomes more and more comfortable in terms of pitching in the postseason? Maybe a more simple way to ask that question is, like, how different is it, you know, than pitching in the regular season? Maybe that July game against the Diamondbacks on a, on a Tuesday afternoon or something like that. How much more comfortable did you get with that stage as, as your career went on? I, You know, it's it's fun. And it always seemed like I was in that position, um, you know, even going back to high school and some of the, you know, playoff games or whatnot. But through the minor leagues, um, you know, I was the winning pitcher in our game three of our championship series and rookie ball and, um, you know, different levels being able to get pitch into the playoffs and stuff there. So there's a feel for it. Um, but I've always, you know, I've, I've always sat back and I've watched because I, I love watching the postseason, the big games when, when everything's on the line. And you watch some of these, you know, tremendous players and uh, that that don't perform. And to me, it was always like, you know, it's. It's the same game. It's it's executing. And um, for, as a pitcher, the hitters are just as amped up, you know, for a big hit as I am for, you know, making a big pitch in a big spot. And so if I can make my pitches, it's no different than the uh, than the um, the regular season is. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely more energy to it in the in the stadium and whatnot. But as far as importance, I mean, you know, it's a pitch at a time. And to me. You know, and and Stu is huge, too. I mean, we what Stu did to our pitching staff that year was I mean, he'd come around to us all the time. and Hey, we got a big game tonight. You know, need you to go out and and perform because he wanted us to be ready for that moment. Not only did uh, both uh, deciding games in the playoff, uh, he so hit the ball, hit the hit. They called it an error. He got robbed, but uh, he actually drove in. Should have got the RBI of the game run in the uh, game Atlanta. But uh, you ever appeal to the scorekeeper that you robbed me? <laughs> you know, I, I think if that if that gets called a hit, I got higher lifetime batting average in the postseason than A Rod does. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, now, it, you know what? One way or the other, it's a run. And, um, you know, working with kids back here at home, it, you know, they, they, they're quick to tell me, oh, that was an unearned run. It's, it's still a run and it's, you know, it still costs you the game. So, um, you know, hit or not a hit. Um, listen, every time I got a foul ball, it was a hit to me. So I'm, I'm not going to complain. We should complain about a single scorer, and uh, everybody would hit that square every day. Although I certainly agree uh, in this particular case. Uh, Sterling, really appreciate you taking some time to go down memory lane with us. Glad the family's doing okay so far. Uh, hang in there. Uh, be safe. And, and thanks again. Great to see you and hear the stories. Thank you. You too. And uh, Bill, it's great to see you again, buddy. Stay safe, pal. Good seeing you, Hitch. Uh, one of the good guys, Sterling Hitchcock of the 1998 Padres NLCS MVP and the starter in that clinching game against the Astros. Thanks again to uh, Sterling for joining us. Bring Ben and Bill uh, back in here. A lot I think we could jump off of from that interview. He said a lot of cool things, a lot of interesting things. Uh, but one for me stood out in, in terms, Ben, of uh, something we heard from Randy Jones earlier this week on the show. We talked about his success uh, against hyper-intense guys like Pete Rose, and he said you could use it against him. 
uh, you know, kind of take something off a little bit and uh, get them out in front or whatever it might be. Kind of got a similar sense there from Sterling. Like he was so cool under pressure in those big games. It, it almost sounded like he knew he could take advantage of the fact that the, the hitters were a little bit extra amped up. Yeah, uh, we talked to Greg Maddox earlier this week on the Men and Woods radio show, and he said, you know, when he needed to reach back for a big out, sometimes he'd throw softer, not harder. It's a little counterintuitive, but on the big league level, when hitters are so good, sometimes it's that it's that change of speed that goes the other direction that actually is harder for them to adjust to. Bill, it's a thinking man's game. It is, and Hitch. Hitch had a great curveball when the ball was working. He was uh, he was close to unhittable at times. And it should be noted that he pitched the final game in both the NLDS and NLDS. So he he won both games that they needed to get to, to the next level. Yeah, great postseason career, as we alluded to, not just uh, with the Padres, but in his time with the Yankees as well. All right, uh, doing our part or trying to help do our part at least to uh, – uh, assist this community in many different ways. One way the Padres are doing that is uh, raising money through a cool baseball auction every week. The first one got underway on Monday, uh, benefiting COVID-19 relief efforts here in San Diego. You can find the details on uh, Padres social media channels. But this week, up for auction, a Trevor Hoffman autographed baseball that includes the Hall of Fame signature, uh, an all-star game autographed baseball from 2016, when, of course, the game was at Petco, and an Eric Hosmer signed autographed jersey. Also, a little birdie told me, as uh, we discussed 1998, uh, that next week's auction includes a very special item as it relates to the 1998 Padres. I believe that is all that I'm at liberty to say, but keep your eyes open. Stay peeled for that. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. back in action in his Players League uh, tonight on MLB The Show. He has been really must-see TV or must-see Twitch, I guess. Uh, really very entertaining, a lot of fun. It's Fernando. Like, who doesn't want more Fernando? Uh, here's a little taste of uh, his his last outing. All right, Fernando is 11-5, second in the division, they tell me. Uh, back on again tonight on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ftatis. Uh, each team in the Major Leagues, all 30 represented by a player in this tournament. The first is around Robin, and as we saw, he's 11-5 so far. Bill, have you tuned into the Twitch? <laughs> Jesse, you know me. I wouldn't know how to tune into the Twitch. <laughs> Uh, ben, I mean, you've obviously interviewed Fernando on your radio show weekday mornings, five to 9 a.m. on 97.3 The Fan. Uh, but uh, you've seen him play baseball. This is just kind of continuing to show off, I think, uh, what we know he's got inside him. It's been a lot of fun. You know, we were talking about it earlier this week. Should we be concerned that he's so good at video games? And I think not. I think it's just a sign that he's just so talented, everything, hand-eye coordination, that he's just naturally gifted. So I'm not going to worry that he's spending – too much time worrying on working on his video games. Plus, if he can get the Padres into the playoffs, I don't care how it happens. We need to end the playoff drought somehow. Let's do it. Into the postseason in the tournament. You're right, though. Like, when this whole thing was starting, I was very curious. Like, all right, who are going to be the guys that are, like, too good at this game? <laughs> uh, but the way he's doing it is pretty fun. By the way, I think there's another one we've been talking about. 
Uh, Amir Garrett, who's been very good and also very entertaining, the Reds reliever. I think finally tonight he's playing the Pirates. Uh, and that's one I've had my eye on because, remember, he charged the Pirate dugout during that brawl last year. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll run back some of that on tomorrow's social hour and see how it goes. Amir Garrett versus the Pirates in the video games. I'm curious to see if it gets icy at all or if like they're not going to address it or if he throws it guys in the video game. I have no idea. I, I don't know what the button is for charging the opposing team's dugout. That yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> uh, so that's uh, what we've got coming up tomorrow. All right, as mentioned a bunch of times tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, Game Four of the 1998 National League Division Series. There's that man, the left-hander Sterling Hitchcock. Really cool too to hear him talking about being so in sync uh, with Jim Larritz in that game. Uh, Padres, I, I spoiled it already, Ben. So I'll do it again. Uh, they will go on to defeat the Astros. <laughs> Uh, in this one, and uh, on to the National League Championship Series. Uh, two games started by Randy Johnson that end with an L for the Houston Astros, and that's a heck of a thing uh, that the Padres accomplished. And uh, this has been a lot of fun all week watching these games. It will continue tonight, just about a half hour from now, on Fox Sports San Diego. Big thank you to Rob Machado, uh, as well as Sterling Hitchcock, and of course to both Bill and Ben for joining us. Uh, gentlemen, always a treat. Continue to take care of yourselves and your families. Thank you both. Happy Earth Day, Bill. You've been on Earth longer than most of us, so congratulations. Uh, almost longer than Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Very well done. Uh, very well done. Uh, Don and Mud on the show tomorrow. We, uh, as mentioned, will continue to look back in 1998. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see if Amir Garrett goes after anybody. Uh, in the video game. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks all of you for hanging out. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 530. Austin, appreciate it, man. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands, and we'll talk to you tomorrow evening. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.